Before we begin this week's episode of the Grace Enough podcast, I want to advise caution. This episode deals with issues of identity, sexuality, and includes some frank discussion. If listening with kids, you may want to pre-screen first. This week, I sit down with Laura Perry to discuss living as a transgender male for 10 years. We also discuss her life leading up to the transition and the transformation she experienced through the Word of God, Jesus, and the faithful prayers of her mother. Before we begin, I want to ask for your help. I've got a message that I would love to share, so I've opened my calendar for speaking events. If you or a women's ministry leader you know is planning an event and looking for a speaker, would you email me at graceenoughpodcast at gmail.com or go to graceenoughpodcast.com slash speaking for more information on the message I believe God has given me to share. Now let's begin this week's conversation with Laura Perry, Transgender to Transformed. Good morning, Laura, and welcome to the Grace Enough podcast. Thank you for being here this morning. Thank you so much for having me on. Take a moment, introduce yourself to our listeners and tell everybody a little bit about what you do on a day-to-day basis. My name is Laura Perry and I, um, I'm a former transgender or at least that's, that's what I've always said, but you know what? I'm like, that's not who I am. I, I am someone that lived as transgender, but I'm just a girl that Jesus has gotten a hold of and is just radically set free and is transformed. And, uh, so I, I share the hope that I have found and the freedom that I've found in Jesus with whoever I can. I, um, on a day-to-day basis, I work for first stone ministries here in Oklahoma city. I try to encourage through various platforms and put my story out there. But most of all, I just, I want people to see that Jesus Christ can overcome whatever they are struggling with. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we're going to talk all about that today and how that took place in your life. And so let's go way back. Maybe not as way back as as some people might be thinking, because I think you and I look like we're about the same age. But anyways, what was life like for you as a young girl? Like, did you grow up with Christian parents? Um, Did you fit in at school? Those types of things. Tell everybody a little bit about life as a young girl. Yeah, I grew up in a Christian home and a Christian school as well for at least through fifth grade. You know, we were one of those families. We were at church every time the door was open and it, you know, but I didn't really understand what it meant to be a Christian. I I had no concept of being born again. It was like, you know, you say this prayer, you get baptized. I was baptized at eight. Honestly, though, I was getting baptized because uh, this little boy that I called my boyfriend when I was very, very little, he was getting baptized and it was like, oh, I want to be baptized too. I don't know how, when it, when I was hearing it 24 seven, how I just completely missed it. But, um, but I didn't know Jesus but I was told that I was a Christian and it was like, I never had a choice. Interesting. It was like, you are a Christian and you were going to obey God and you're going to follow his rule. And it was always this like very legalistic view of Christianity. Like you can either decide to follow God's rules or you can decide not to, but there was no concept of relationship or an understanding of how he was trustworthy and faithful that I could follow him. And so that was kind of my view. And I, I think a lot of that came from my mother's view of Christianity at the time. I look back now and she loved me very much. She was always doing a lot for me, but she, she treated me a bit, a bit like the way she treated God. It was this very um, external 
relationship. Like I will do all these things for you. I'll check all the right boxes that you need, not really having that relationship. And she will tell you in her own testimony that she was kind of a, um, a legalistic Pharisee. Mm. She just, I, I think she didn't understand what it really meant to have that intimate relationship. And kind of as a result, she was burned out and stressed out a lot. And so our relationship was really rough because it was just, she was always just too tired and too stressed out to deal with me. I was kind of hyper, had a lot of energy. Even though mom was doing a lot for me, she never really wanted me around much. You know, she was never involved in the, a lot of the activities that I was doing. And my dad would spend a lot of time with me, but mom wouldn't. I just, I began to be very bitter and resentful towards her. She had a much better relationship with my brother. And uh, I found out she'd miscarried two boys between my brother and I. And so then I thought, well, maybe mom wishes that I had been one of the brothers instead. So I think that's very early on. That's where I begin to feel this um, desire to be a boy, you know, but one thing I've learned, you know, I want to make very clear that I don't blame my mother at all. This is not her fault. The enemy is so crafty at how Mm -hmm. he lies to us and bring these things. But it was my own bitterness and unforgiveness that began to feed this lie. You know, and as I begin to act more like a boy, the girls at school begin to reject me and uh, or a lot of it, I think, was at first it was my own awkwardness, you know, just yeah. not feeling like I fit in with them because I, I'm acting more like a boy. So I just started playing with the boys all the time, which was great until you start getting into middle school when all of a sudden it's too cool. You know, it's not cool to <laughs> have this right. girl as a friend, you know, you're starting to date girls. So there's this real awkwardness. So I, I lost a lot of that. But I, I just I, I grew up with this just real identity crisis, not knowing who I was, not feeling like I fit in. Well, and so. At age eight, you were molested. And that is something that is a very defining moment for most people in a sense of it can really trigger a lot of trauma and things like that throughout your life. And so when that happened, you kept that a secret and you kept that a secret for a really long time. And so what would you say is the impact that that had on the feelings that you were already experiencing of wanting to be a boy? Yeah, it really began to change me. One, it, it opened, you know, the door to all these sexual feelings and desires. And uh, so I started experimenting with other friends, but really it also made me jealous of boys. You know, I, for the first time in my oh. life, I began to understand the physical difference between boys and girls. Um, but also he really rejected me after that. And I began to feel like, boys had all the power. Like a girl was just there to be used and discarded. Mm. And, you know, but, but a boy had, um, could determine whether, you know, whether there was a relationship or not. And so I, I just remember having this intense jealousy of wanting to be able to have that control. Um, I I didn't want to feel thrown away like trash. That's kind of how I felt. That really continued in, you know, throughout your teen years. And so let's talk a little bit about, after that happens, some things, I mean, you already have this stressed, str- I shouldn't say stressed, strained relationship with your mom, but how did your relationship with your parents change throughout your teen years and those young adult years as compared to when you were a young girl? Well, when I was young, my dad and I were really, really close. I mean, we were just attached at the hip. My <laughs> my dad used to come home every night and play games with me. Yes, and, uh, me you know, too, go girl. To, oh, it was amazing, you know, yes. and he would take me to the, the stores with him and he would um, go to all my games and stuff. He was so involved in my life. Uh, he started working a lot more um, in my teen years and, and that wasn't his fault. I didn't understand at the time how demanding right. his job had gotten. And, uh, but really I was beginning to get angry with God for other reasons. So it just happened to kind of coincide. 
when I was 14, I found out that I was, I had polycystic ovarian syndrome. Mm -hmm. So every day I was having these massive pains and I thought, okay, so I have this body that is, you know, that I don't want in the first place because I didn't want to be female. And then it's causing me nothing but pain. And then on top of that, the doctors were telling me that I was likely never going to get pregnant. And I was so Can angry. we pause right there for a second? Yeah. Because same, I was diagnosed with polycystic ovarian syndrome a little bit later than that. And I remember very clearly at like 17 years old, them telling me I would likely never have kids and thinking, why would you tell anybody that? Like right. you're not even at childbearing age. So really it doesn't help. Right. To tell someone that. So I just need to put that out there because if anybody has heard that, I mean, I have three very healthy children and had no problem having <laughs> them. And I'm not saying that's everybody's story. I'm just saying like, we shouldn't speak that over people that yes. young if there's no way to make it any different. There's no reason to tell people that unless you have like a way to help improve their chances as they move forward. So with that said, it does make you angry and it makes you start feeling even more resentful about, okay, now I'm painful. I don't want to be a woman anyways. And now you're telling me you can't have kids. So proceed with um, just how that impacted your relationship with your parents. Yeah. I'm so glad you brought that up because I've, I've, I've even been thinking about some of the women in the Bible who, you know, like Hannah and Sarah, who were barren for so long and yes. yet God opened their womb. So I'm not saying that's going to be the case with every single woman out there, but you, the doctors do not know. And, um, you know, they may be making judgments on things they've seen, but the Lord can bring healing and he can open the womb. So, so if any woman out there has heard that, um, you need to take this to the Lord and ask him about that. Cause it did, it devastated me yes. and I was so angry. And I remember I was having trouble with a, a boyfriend anyway, that I, um, during that time. So just to back up just a second, when I was very, very little, they had found this boy and I making out in a closet when we were three at the church nursery. <laughs> and, wow. Um, <laughs> and then we started calling each other boyfriend and girlfriend until we were 12. And so wow. all of my formative years, I had this identity of having a boyfriend, you know, and it was like, and then after that, I was so desperate. I mean, I was just lost without a boyfriend. And so through all of my teen years, I, I was just desperate. And I would date anybody that would pay any attention to me, whether I liked him or not. Mm. And I finally had this one that I had dated for quite a while and he dumped me and I was so devastated. And between that and everything that was going on with my uh, female system and the relationship with my mom and now dad's not home much. And I was beginning to get so angry and bitter. And I finally told God, well, actually I thought, um, I tried really hard to convince myself I was an atheist, but I knew the truth. There was so much of the word of God in me and so much that I had heard. I knew without any shadow of a doubt that God was real, but I was just angry at God. I remember thinking, okay, if God made me this way on purpose, you know, because you hear that you're wonderfully made and all of this, you know, well, if that's true, and if God did this on purpose, then God's a jerk. And that's how I began to view God as he did this just to um, make me miserable. And wow. so I told God that I would never serve him again. And I just started running away from the faith as I wanted to be the opposite of a Christian, whatever that was. I remember thinking, I want to sin in every way possible. I want to do everything I've ever been told not to do. I was just really, really angry. And I think that's one thing I really want to highlight to parents is that I think a lot of times we get, we get so focused on whatever sin they're involved in. And we think that's the problem, but the, the problem is so much deeper. It's, in every story I've ever heard, there's always a reason that they turn to these 
uh, sinful lifestyles. And most of the time, it's um, a distorted view of God. They feel like God has failed them or they, they don't trust God or mm-hmm. they, you know, if God is good, why did he do this? Or why did he allow this? And that's common across every story that I hear. And uh, in fact, that's what Romans 1 tells us. If you look at the progression in Romans 1, their own uh, ungratefulness and their own view of God begins to get distorted. And then they turn the truth of God into a lie. And it, it's all about rejection of God. And then they're turned over to these lusts. Oh, wow. And I think we focus so much on the, the lust and whatever else, and we forget. Uh, in fact, one of the, the Lord pointed this out to me recently in Hebrews 12, 15 through 16, it says, looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you and thereby many be defiled, lest there be any fornicator or profane person as Esau, who for one morsel of meat sold his birthright. And so when we hang on to bitterness and unforgiveness and resentment, um, it leads to defilement and fornication because we start trying to gratify our flesh rather than dealing with all the pain that's inside. Mm. And so that's one thing I didn't realize. And so I began to get very, very deep into sexual sin, trying so hard to fix the brokenness in me by just satisfying the flesh. And I was so desperate to have a boyfriend and to have that male love that I'd had um, when I was a child, not sexually, but like my dad and my brother, I was so close to them. And so I'd always had this deep love with men. Um, you know, they never laid a hand on me, but it began to get distorted. And I began to, okay, the, the, the only way that I can get men to love me now is if, if I give them sex. And so I began to um, give them everything they wanted, but really I was just wanting that love. You know, I was getting deeper and deeper into pornography and that was just feeding this cycle of trying to, um, trying to get with men. And then eventually I joined an adult hookup site, um, because I was so desperate and I was having trouble. You know, I had gained a lot of weight. I had a horrible self-image and I was having trouble getting boys to like me. And so it was like, I just joined this adult hookup site. Well, I'll just give it away for free, you know, and, but I how old hoping. were you when that happened? I was in college. So, uh, I had started a college a couple of years late. So I was probably about 21 at the time. And so by 21, this is happening. You, I mean, cause that, that's a big leap of joining an adult hookup site, but at this point you are still just hooking up with men or are you beginning to right. go back and forth? Not yet. I mean, I had had a couple of encounters with women and I look back and throughout all my teenage and college years, there were several times that I tried to pursue girls but I wasn't physically attracted to their bodies so much. I, what I really wanted was I wanted to be a man, but I didn't know there was anything I could do about it. I had never heard the word transgender. I'd never heard of people actually transitioning. I'd heard of drag queens, uh, but that was about it. But the, the girls that I pursued uh, were never lesbians. I always pursued girls that had a boyfriend. And it was like, if I, I didn't even realize this consciously, but I think I thought if I could win them away from the boy, it would sort of solidify my manhood. Oh, okay. Um, so I had dated a couple of girls, but I was mainly dating guys. I, I was, because I really didn't think there was anything I could do about it. I felt stuck in this female body. By 2008, you had began transitioning to a man. And so at this point you realize I'm not really attracted to women as much as I just want to be a man myself. And so what measures did you begin taking once you realized, oh, I don't have to just be a drag queen or want to be a man. I can actually take measures to make that happen. 
Yeah. And what happened was just a desperation after meeting all these men and realized how, realizing how unsatisfying it was. And I had been for years, I had been watching pornography and fantasizing about being a man. And eventually I was playing a virtual sex game. So I was pretending to be this man sexually and it was just feeding this fantasy. And I finally got so desperate. I looked up in Google, like literally just typed in girl becoming a boy. And that's how I discovered this whole world. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is everything I've ever dreamed of. I like, it's possible. So that's what really, really began to get me hooked. And I went to a local support group and within five minutes, they were like, oh, you are definitely transgender. And it's like, I knew it. You know, mm, this is an affirmation. Just, yes. The devil began feeding me everything I wanted. And I just, just bought into the whole thing. They told me, you know, how I could transition and everything. And I was really worried that I would never look like a man. And they said, oh, don't worry about it. After a year or so of taking hormones, no one will ever know you were a girl. And that's what I'd wanted to hear all my life. And so I was like, at that point, you know, I wish somebody had tried to talk to me earlier or that I wish I had told somebody how I was struggling, you know, because I think if I had talked to somebody early on, I may have been able to see the truth. But once I embraced that and once I really believed it, I was like, you better affirm me or get out of my way. I don't want you in my life if you're not going to affirm this because this is who I am. And I absolutely believed it to the core of my being that I was a man trapped in a woman's body. Mm. And I went to a a therapist as the the first legal uh, requirement toward this process was that I had to have three sessions with a licensed therapist. And in the final session, I'll never forget, she kind of put down her notebook and uh, looked over her glasses. It was like she stopped for just a minute. She looked right in my eyes and she said, wow, you really have issues with your mom. And I was so stunned. I mean, I was just like mindlessly answering her questions, just trying to get through this so I could get on with the transition, you know, but I kind of blew up at her. I was like, I'm not here to talk about my mom. And she said, so you're just wanting this diagnosis. I said, yes, that's all I want. You know, this is the only medical diagnosis that I'm aware of that people are allowed to diagnose themselves and, um, go through medical steps, um, not not just medicine, but horm- or, uh, but surgeries as well. Yeah. And people are completely diagnosing themselves. And the therapists are so scared of the activists and the agenda. They're afraid of getting sued that they're, they're just rolling over and letting people do what they want. And so she gave me the diagnosis. I mean, I, w- I took this to a doctor then. I started hormones. And then, um, you know, I began to grow facial hair my voice began to get lower. And it was like, as people started affirming me as male, I started getting, uh, it it fed that even more and more and more. And it was like, each little step was so exciting. And I remember when I got my name legally changed, it was like every step that toward this affirmation of all of this would just reinforce the lie. And it was like, yes, this really is possible. I'm going to be a man one day. And then I finally, in 2009, I had my double mastectomy. And I'll never forget, I really, at the time, well, one thing, right before my surgery, my aunt had written me an email and she said, and this was one of the few women in my life. I look back, I absolutely know this woman loved me. She was so good to me when I was growing up. And she'd written me this letter and she said, Laura, please don't do this. You are being deceived by the devil and you're such a beautiful girl. Please run away from this. This is from the pit of hell, you know, something like that. And I was so angry with her. I didn't talk to her for a long time, but I got to tell you, she was compelled by the Lord to send this to me. Yeah. And it had a profound impact on my life because as I was laying there on the operating table, I was looking down at the purple dotted cut lines all over my chest as I was waiting mm. for the anesthesiologist to come in. And I thought, what if she's right? What if I really am in the hands of Satan? What if I wake up in hell? And I was really scared. I thought I almost, I almost 
walked away because of it. But I just started, I began to pray and I hadn't prayed in years. I had no desire for God at the time, but I still knew there were so many times along the way that I knew that God was real. And I knew that he, he was there, you know, he was pursuing me all this time. So I just began to pray and I said, God, I recognize this wasn't your will, but I have to do this. This is who I am. I still didn't understand that God's creation of me determined who I was. You know, I was like, this is who Mm -hmm. I am and I have to do this. But I asked him to spare my life. Wow. And I, I think God honored that, you know, and he knew future and he knew how he was going to keep pursuing me. But I'm just so thankful that God spared my life. I want to take a moment to tell you about one of my new favorite small businesses, Green Roof Gallery. I came across Bethany and her unique handcrafted leather earrings when a friend shared Green Roof Gallery on Instagram. Green Roof Gallery creates leather accessories for the grown-up girl who loves simplicity and a natural style. Handcrafted, small-batched, unique, and personal. Bethany parallels the process of leather work with the new creation theme found throughout the Bible. God takes our seemingly unusable mess-ups and makes them new and unexpectedly beautiful. When you wear jewelry or use a journal from Green Roof Gallery, you will be gently reminded that God takes the hard and ugly times and uses them for our good and His glory. You will know every product went through some not-so-pretty times to get to the beautiful finished piece that now belongs to you or the person you might gift it to. And let me say, I own two pairs of the teardrop leather earrings. And when they arrived, I was beyond impressed by the detail of the design and the beauty of the color which Bethany hand paints. Plus, Bethany was quick to respond to my questions, and she cares deeply about helping women own their whole stories while seeking God throughout. As a Grace Enough podcast listener, you can take 15% off through July and August using the code GRACE15. Go to Etsy.com and search Green Roof Gallery. At checkout, use the code GRACE15 for 15% off your entire purchase. You can also learn more on Instagram and Facebook by searching Green Roof Gallery. Well, you go on to be living fully as a transgender male. Yeah. But eventually you did realize that all the physical change had not made you happy. It had not fulfilled what you had hoped. And so what was going on internally during those years? Well, after I woke up from the surgery, I was so excited and I thought, yes, I mean, it was like, I couldn't believe that it was actually real. And I was like, this is everything I've ever wanted. Like, look at my chest. And I was so excited. And I was just on cloud nine, you know, but a few weeks later, I I went back to work and my boss that was um, the boss I had at the time was a lesbian. And she, of course, very pro LGBT and she'd helped me plan the trip. She was excited for me. She thought this was so cool. And uh, she came to me a few weeks later, though, and she got in my face one day and she was like, look, I don't know what's going on with you, but you're moping around here. You're depressed. You're not working as hard. You're unmotivated. I don't know what's wrong with you, but I want the old Jake back. And I was like, what do you mean? I'm the happiest I've ever been in my life. You don't know what you're talking about. I went home that night and I couldn't get it out of my head. And I thought, what is she seeing in me that I'm not seeing in myself? 
And I finally had to admit that even though I really liked the physical results and I was so excited about the rest of the transition process, I finally admitted to myself that I'd also had some depression because my surgery hadn't made me a man. And I remember Ugh. feeling so stupid. I was like, even women have mastectomies, you know, like for health problems, for cancer, for whatever. So I knew that hadn't made me a man. And I thought, well, the next surgery will. You know, maybe maybe another year or two of hormones, like eventually this will be real. But I that started the early seeds of doubt, you know, but after another couple of years of hormones, this still wasn't real. And I was like, why does this still feel so fake? And so I, I thought, you know, it's because I have all these female organs. Once I have all the female organs removed and I won't have any more uh, female hormones in my body, then it will be real. And so I had uh, all the female organs removed and that still didn't make it real. I was really beginning to doubt at that point, but I was so desperate. It was like, it was in too deep. And I thought the only way is forward. And somehow I have to make this real. There was no way on earth I wanted to even entertain the idea that I could go back to being a female. There was so much pain there every time I thought about it. And so I began to look into the genital reassignment surgeries mm -hmm. and I was devastated when I began to research these surgeries. No one ever told me how horrific these surgeries are. And if anyone is considering this, please, please do the research on the complications and the, the uh, not just complications from the surgery. I mean, those are bad enough. I know I've heard of one girl that has had 31 corrective surgeries. Um, there, there is a girl I've heard of that is completely wheelchair bound the rest of her life. Some of these girls and guys um, both have ended up with permanent colostomy bags and all kinds of other problems. Some of them have ended up with um, no functional sexual anatomy. Some of them have had... Um, never are, are never able to experience any sexual pleasure again. And in fact, only um, the research I found the other day said only 51.1% were able to engage in sexual activity after this surgery. Mm, man, it was devastating. And I began to realize that this was never going to be real. And even I was so desperate for it at the time, though, it would have cost me about $100,000. So I knew and it was a, at least a three stage surgery process. So I knew um, but with $100,000 and no insurance covered it at the time, I knew there was no way I could ever afford it. But I was so desperate and so narcissistic and so selfish and I'm just completely self-absorbed that I, I secretly wish that my parents were dead so I could get their inheritance money. Oh, Laura. Jesus said that he who commits sin is the slave of sin. And that was so true in my life. I became an absolute slave to this identity. I didn't care about anything else. And everything in my life revolved around whether people thought I was male or not. I remember I couldn't even carry on normal conversations after several years because I was living in what, um, what people call stealth. Some people are very openly trans, and, uh, but I was not at all. I didn't want anyone to know I was transgender. I just wanted to be a man. And I remember thinking like every time I would have a conversation with someone the whole time, all I could think was, do they, do they know, do they think I'm a man? And it, and then I had to um, reinvent my entire past. It was like, I'd be having a conversation. It was like, wait a minute, I couldn't have played Girl Scout or I couldn't have been in Girl Scouts as a kid. I had to have been in Boy Scouts. You know, I claimed to be a, a straight man and I started accidentally telling about an ex-boyfriend one time and it just began to haunt me and my life became a nightmare and just, I felt like I was in this living hell and I wanted it so desperately to be true and everybody tells you it's going to be true one day and there's always this perceived happiness out there, but it's like you never, it's like the, you know, the, um, the dog races where there's the little rabbit on the, the track. Yes. <laughs> it's like you can't ever quite catch it. That's right. You, know, you keep chasing it, but actually- 
when I when I came home uh, years later, just to skip ahead to share this part, as I was reading the book of Hosea, it says in chapter two, verse six, it says, therefore, behold, I will hedge up thy way with thorns and make a wall that she shall not find her path and she shall follow after her lovers, but she shall not overtake them and she shall seek them, but shall not find them. Then shall she mm. say, I will go and return to my first husband for then was it better with me than now. And I, I look back and that's what the Lord was doing to me. He was pursuing me in so many ways. You know, my parents are praying this entire time and all they're seeing is me going deeper and deeper and deeper into the lifestyle. I'm cutting them off for the most part. We had just a very, very shallow relationship and all they can see is what the enemy wants them to see. But the reality was God was doing so much behind the scenes. He was pursuing me at every turn. I was listening to, um, conservative talk radio of all things. And they would talk about God once in a while. And I was beginning to soften towards God, you know, and I was having dreams all the time. I was constantly reminded of the truth. And that's where I want to pause you because eventually you did encounter a different mother. Yeah. Like you had grown up with this mom that you viewed as she's so legalistic. She's, you know, Christian, but she's just doing all the things. And that kind of gave you a little bit of this negative view of God, but you encountered her as someone totally different. And so what happened in her life that when you saw it, it kind of slowly began to reorient you back toward Jesus. Yeah. and, And just to explain that a little bit, you know, it was like when I was little, my view of Christianity was like, if you want to go to heaven, you uh, you will be a Christian, but it is the worst life on earth. It is, um, there's never any fun and it's just, you're going to be stressed out and burned out and your life's just going to be a living hell, um, mm-hmm. but you don't want to go to hell. So that, that was my only real view of Christianity. But as I began to see the change in my mom, we, she had asked me to make a website for her Bible study. We really hadn't been in a whole lot of contact prior to that. Uh, once in a while, they'd meet me for dinner, but it was just very, very shallow. She had started this Bible study and she asked me to make a website. And this was not, people think that my mom like figured out how she could get me to read the word of God. My mom had tried all my life to fix me, but she had really surrendered me to the Lord's hands at this point. Uh, she had realized that she couldn't fix me. And in fact, this was really what began, I found out years later, the night that I came out as transgender is the night that really began to break her. And she went home that night and she threw herself on the floor before the Lord and said, Lord, I give up. I am so tired of trying so hard. I can't fix this. And God said, finally, I've been waiting for you to realize you can't fix this. She began to really surrender to him and let the Holy Spirit work in her. And so she said that she used to feel like she was on this performance treadmill for God, trying so hard in her own flesh to please God. And now she was surrendering to him and humbling herself before him, before him and letting him work in her. And that was the difference. And she even tried throughout the year, she would get tempted to start helping again, especially if I would say something about God, she would get excited. And, oh, I can right. help this out. God's working on her. I can, you know, I'll do this or I'll do that. And he told her one night very clearly, he said, Francine, only one of us is going to work on her. If you want to work on her, then I'll go sit down. But if you want me to work on her, you go sit down, you get in the word and you work on your relationship with me and I will work on Laura. Wow. And that's a promise he gave to her. And so she, she did. So at this point, she, she was so involved in her Bible study and she was teaching and this Bible study was just growing and growing and they wanted a website And so she just, that's all she had asked was for me to make this website. But I decided that I was going to summarize each lesson uh, for the website. And as I did, I had to read the lessons 
And I didn't understand the word, the power of the word of God, because it had just been this dry, dusty book that I'd been forced to read all my life. Right. And all of a sudden it began to come alive to me as I began to see that God was faithful and trustworthy. I was so blown away by what she was teaching. And I look back now, you know, and it was just the Holy Spirit beginning to move on me. You know, uh, Jesus said that no one can come to the Father unless he first draws them. And so this was um, evidence that the Holy Spirit was beginning to draw me and I was getting so curious. And so I began calling and asking my mom questions about what she was reading. And she began to just very gently explain. She said she learned to just answer the question and not tell me everything she knew because she wanted to just tell me everything she'd learned, you know? Right. And yeah. Like you got to get saved I can only now. imagine. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> but she just kept praying and she was just so stunned as the Lord began working on me and it became so evident. And uh, about six months went by and I finally said, mom, what happened to me? Six months ago, I was 180 degrees from where I am now. I said, all I want is to hear the word of God. And that wow. was just so foreign to me. And she said, well, I've been praying that God would draw you back like a magnet. And I was like, mm. wow, that is what God has done. And I was, mm. I was blown away. I was like, God answered your prayer. And yeah. I knew that this was a miracle because I had never wanted God. And especially in my teen and college years and young adult years, you know, I just, I, I didn't want anything to do with it. And now all of a sudden that's all I wanted. And I knew that was a miracle. So one day I had in this course of our conversation, there was some big decision I had to make. I think it was over a job I was wanting to take. And my mom always had had, you know, the practical solution and, you know, let's figure out how to do this. It was always, it, we never consulted God on a lot of these decisions or sometimes we would pray, but it was all it, when I was a kid, but it was always like, we're going to pray and ask God to bless our will. You know, it was never like, right. we're going to seek God's will on this. So she told me when I asked her about this and I'm, I'm prepared for her to tell me all the practical reasons. And she says, honey, you just need to trust the Lord. And I was like, what? Like, who are <laughs> you? And what have you done with my mother? And then I began, it was like the Lord opened my eyes like this, um, you know, when the, the scales from Saul's eyes fell, it was like yeah. all of a sudden um, I looked back on these last six months of the conversations with her and I knew that she had been transformed. Um, when I saw the change in my mother, that she was not this legalistic Pharisee, but that she was full of faith and peace and patience. And I knew at that moment that the gospel was true mm. because I had seen my mom absolutely transformed and she was a completely different person. It was like, I went home that night and I began to um, pray and confess my sins. And I just threw myself on the floor before the Lord. And I began to weep and weep and weep over my sin. And I remember feeling so empty though, because I just, I didn't trust that God wanted to save me. It was fine for my mom that had tried to do the right thing all her life, but I had been intentionally rebellious. I remember times in, in high school that I was praying to Satan, asking Satan to keep people from coming to know Jesus. And I thought, wow. why would God want me? And so for a couple of days, I really was absolutely miserable. I couldn't sleep. I couldn't eat. And I was just in this utter turmoil. And I finally said, God, I want to serve you again. And really what I meant by that, I had, when I was 13, one of the few times that I really had turned to the Lord as a kid, I was at summer camp and I felt the call of the Lord in my life to be a missionary. And I went forward and dedicated my life to be a missionary. So I remembered that all throughout these rebellious years, the Lord never let me forget that. I was like Jonah running away. Oh, yes, and, girl. <laughs> and so I finally, I said, God, I want to serve you again. I don't know where to start. And, God, and I was riding down a glass elevator and I was looking out over the city and I was watching this couple cross the street. 
And God said, start with them. And I was like, what? Wait a minute. Wait, whoa, whoa, whoa. Like, first of all, <laughs> I've never heard God talk to me. And I'm like, so stunned. I mean, it wasn't audible, that, but I could hear this so clearly. Oh, yes. I and, uh, totally and get I, it. Yeah. So I, I went outside for my break and I'm like, I'm just trying to ignore this. And I thought, you know, uh, by the time I get out there, they're going to be way down the street anyway. I will have missed them. You know, I'm making all these excuses. I went back and forth into the building four times, but there was an elephant on my chest. And I was like, I cannot, this is crazy. And I finally got to the point where it was like, if I make an absolute fool of myself, I'm going to obey God because I don't have any, like, I cannot, I really thought if I go back into the building now, if I ignore this, will God ever give me another chance? I didn't know. I just felt like this was kind of a defining moment. Am I going to trust God or am I going to trust myself? So I went over to them. I had no idea what I was going to say. And I just started and I was like, hi, I never do this, but I feel like, and I didn't even know what to say, but God kind of fed me one word at a time as I was faithful to open my mouth. I said, I feel like God wants me to pray with you. Is there anything I can pray with you about? And I felt stupid because I really thought he was going to give me some really prophetic word. Right. <laughs> and like he was going to tell me everything going on in their life. But as I said that, their tears started streaming down their faces. And they were so stunned that God had sent someone to pray for them. And they were like, yes, we just moved to town. We don't know anybody. We don't have a job. We don't know where we're going to live. And I was like, wow. Oh, my goodness. If there's anybody in Tulsa that needs prayer, it's these two. And it was wow. like, okay, Lord. And at that moment, it was like, I completely put my faith and trust in him because he had proven to me that despite all of my rebellion, despite everything I had done, that I was not too far gone, that he still loved me and that he still yeah. wanted me to be a part of his kingdom. And so as I grabbed their hands and then I started praying, the Holy Spirit came on me with such power that I, I couldn't even stand up straight. And I began to feel like I was being washed from the inside out. And I could literally feel his power flowing through me. And I said, amen. And I, like, I could feel light just bursting forth from my chest. And I knew I was completely transformed in that moment. And I had so much joy and all the like scripture and him started flooding back to me. And I called my mom to tell her what happened. She knew just from that phone call that I had been saved and that I had been changed. She said I was so different. I was so excited. I thought, yes, I'm going to be a man of God. And I yeah. didn't realize at the time that God was going to come after this identity, but he was so patient with me and so long suffering, but he began to bring this just gentle conviction. But I was serious about the Lord. I was so hungry for his word. I didn't realize the ladies in my mom's Bible said he'd been praying for me for years. They were praying that I would have a ravenous hunger for the word. Later, I told them, I was like, y'all don't know how much God answered that prayer. I said, I was so hungry that I was listening to either the audio Bible or some kind of Bible study or Christian teaching literally all day, every day. And um, I just, I couldn't get enough. And I was so zealous. And I began sharing my faith with my friends. You know, I was doing the very best that I could, but I didn't know what to do with this conviction because I didn't know how to fix it. Everybody tells you that this is permanent. And, and that's the thing. I mean, you said you knew you had a transformed heart, mm -hmm. but you were living as a man and very confident in that. But one day you were listening to one of your favorite pastors and he ended up speaking about transgenderism, but it was not a message of hate. It was more of this bigger life purpose of life is not about what makes us happy. And so how did God use that message to move this heart transformation to more of, oh, wow, this has to be a physical transformation for me too. 
Yeah, he wasn't a pastor, actually. He was a um, he's kind of a, a radio personality. Uh, oh, OK. Or, well, we'll say he, he's a speaker. He's an author and speaker. He was the president, actually, of um, Oklahoma Wesleyan University at the time. And he was just on a he had a 20 minute segment on a local radio show once a week. And but this was my favorite show of the whole week. And I would look forward to it. And because he's just a brilliant speaker. And he, he would talk about these cultural issues in a way that um, just nobody was talking at the time. He would talk about these really tough issues, but he didn't talk about transgenderism for the first several months that I was listening. And it really had not even been in mainstream culture really until after um, gay marriage was legalized. And it really began right. to open the floodgates to all this. And all of a sudden, I hadn't realized that this had gone from a, a, a subject that was kind of in the shadows, a very taboo subject, to like the biggest issue in culture. And all of a sudden, he started talking about this every week. And I tried to ignore it. But I finally, when I started to listen, I was amazed at what he said wasn't hateful. What he said was, we are not just made up of our instincts, our feelings, and our inclinations. We are made in the image of God, and we can choose our behavior despite how we feel. Mm. And that was such a radical thought to me. And I thought, you know, I knew he was right, and I didn't want to admit it, but I went home that night, and it was like, okay, Lord, I recognize this wasn't your will for me. I know that I was not supposed to be transgender, but what am I supposed to do about it? And I really began to almost get angry with God. I was like, what am I supposed to do? Just show up at work and address and say, just kidding. I'm really a girl. Sorry. Sorry. I've lied to y'all for four years. You know, like I really cared about a lot of these people I worked with that only had known me as male. Nobody in the entire company uh, knew I was male except the human resources lady that lived in Hawaii. You know, I felt like I had no choice and I, but I began to get very, very miserable. And I knew as I was listening to more and more um, Christian radio and I was listening to the biblical truth on these issues. I knew that this was not how God created me. And I knew I was living in sin. And I began to, you know, people try to uh, twist one or two verses and say, oh, well, it really means this or it really means that. When the Lord gets a hold of your heart, I'm telling you, the entire Bible began to tell me that I couldn't be transgender. It, so many verses began to just pierce my heart. You know, in one of my life verses is Psalm 107.20 that says, he sent his word and healed them and delivered them from their destructions. And wow. he began to pour the word of God into my heart. I remember I heard a sermon on the radio one day by Charles Stanley about obedience. And I bet he mentioned the, the word obedience at least a hundred times. And I felt like, you know, I remember being under so much conviction. And one night I, I threw myself on the floor and I said, Lord, what do you want from me? I want to hear well done, good and faithful servant but I knew I was not right with the Lord. And I didn't, I still didn't think there was anything I could do about being trans. I was, I kept trying to get rid of this conviction. And he asked me a question. He said, if you stood before me tonight, what name would I call? And I was like, Oh Lord, that's not fair. Like I've, I've told you, you know, I'm sorry. I've repented of this. I don't know what to do about this. I can't fix this. I can't go back. And I'm stuck this way. You know, I was legally male at this time. And I had all these surgeries. I had facial hair. I'd taken all these hormones. My voice was much lower at the time. Uh, he reminded me of John chapter one, where it says, Jesus Christ himself is the creator. He said, you cannot claim to love me and yet reject my creation. Mm. And I thought I was being condemned because I didn't see any other way. But in the most loving voice I've ever heard in all my life, he whispered to me and he said, let me tell you who you are. Mm. And that's what began to free me because I realized at that point that I was never going to be anything other than who God created, but I, I realized that I'd been created with a plan and a purpose because I had a specific identity that God had created and only he knew who that was, but I still didn't know how to fix it. So for a couple of months, 
I really began to wrestle. And I think God allowed me this time to get me really, really desperate because he knew how hard this was going to be. And uh, for two months, I literally begged the Lord with all my life to, or with all my heart to just take my life because I saw absolutely no way out. And I finally, I had seen myself in this deep, dark pit that I couldn't get out of. And I could see the light at the top, but there was no way out for me. And he reminded me of Matthew chapter 16, verses 24 through 26. that says, if anyone will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake shall find it. For what is it a profit a man to gain the whole world and yet forfeit his own soul? Or what shall he give in exchange for his soul? And I had a clear vision of Jesus Christ getting down on one knee. He reached his hand down into this pit and he asked me, do you trust me? And I knew he was asking me to just walk away from everything. And I knew at that point, I, I had no way, there was no way I was ever going to have peace in my life except to obey God. Yeah. And I thought I was, I honestly thought I was going to be miserable the rest of my life. The first time I went shopping for female clothes I, I sobbed hysterically looking at myself in female clothes again for the first time in a decade. You know, I, I didn't have breasts anymore. And I was like, what is this even going to mean for the rest of my life? Mm-hmm. And I didn't know, but I said, okay, Lord. And I took his hand and walked away from it all. And I walked away from my partner, from my job, that identity, I mean, everything. I'd been with the, my partner that was also transgender for eight years. And wow. I, it was all I had known for almost a decade. And the first few days were miserable as I just sobbed hysterically and I just cried as I grieved and grieved. I didn't realize at the time that I really, because I felt like I was dying, but I was in a sense, I was dying to self, you know, but that's what we are commanded to do. We are to be dead and buried with him so that he can raise us to new life. I wanted God to make my life better, but he wanted to give me new life. He wanted to be, Mm. to resurrect me from the dead. And then when I showed up at my mom's Bible study, And all these women that have been praying for me for years surrounded me with so much love and with, you know, hugs. And they accepted me as one of them. I mean, I had been out of the lifestyle a few days. I still look so masculine and they didn't treat me like some masculine woman. They accepted me as one of them. It's like the lie just broke off of me. And for the first time in my life, I felt loved and accepted by women. And that's what I'd needed all my life. Mm -hmm. And that's when um, I was like, okay, Lord. I'm going to be okay. I still didn't like being a woman at that point, but it was like, I'm going to be okay. In fact, I found out they, these women had raised over $1,600 to buy me a new wardrobe. I mean, you talk about, this is the response that the church needs to have. The church needs to stop affirming and just celebrating sin and ignoring sin. In fact, Paul told the Corinthian church that wouldn't put out the, the man that refused to repent from sexual sin. He said it was their own pride um, that was making them not deal with this. And he said, you should have mourned over this. You know, so the church doesn't need to celebrate and affirm sin and, or ignore it. The church needs to be talking about the sexual sin in the church. Some statistics have shown that over 70% of men in the church are addicted to pornography. This yeah. is a shame to the body of Christ. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 6, Know ye not that your bodies are the members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a harlot? God forbid. What know ye not that he which is joined to a harlot is one body for two, he says, shall be one flesh. Well, and that's the thing that I have to ask, because we see in the cultural moment that we're living in now, which is even so different from when you made this shift from Jake back to Laura. I feel like it just keeps um, the momentum keeps growing 
where I see in churches a little bit more fear or delicacy with how to deal with it. And I think part of it is people trying to learn how to love. And then there's so much talk around, like what you said, this affirming. Yes. And so what are some of the, like, how would you encourage from the perspective of you knowing personally what it's like to walk this path? What wisdom or encouragement would you have for someone like me, someone in church leadership and so on? That's the thing we need to love as Jesus loved. You know, we can love people right where they're at. We can welcome them in the church and we can surround them with love, but we don't need to affirm their sin. In fact, to do that is our own pride because we want to be loved by them. We want to be um, looked at as wonderful in their eyes and we want them to tell other people how wonderful we are. But the reality is that people need to hear the truth in absolute love. Say, no, you are loved. You are accepted. You are welcome. But we want to help you out of this. God has something better for you. One of the most powerful I've ever heard. There was a girl that had showed up at a church. She was living as trans. Uh, She was very tough, had this very tough attitude. The pastor called. Now, I wouldn't suggest this every time. Be led by the Holy Spirit. God deals with everybody on such a unique and individual level. But listen to the Holy Spirit. This pastor called her up to the front of the church and she thinks, yeah, here it goes. He's going to kick me out. He's going to, in front of all these people, he's going to tell me that I'm condemned to hell and all this. And instead he grabbed her in the biggest bear hug and began to um, speak the truth over her. And he said, you are a beautiful daughter of God. And I, I think some from Psalm 139, I don't remember what all he said to her, but he began to speak the truth over her in absolute love. And she was so stunned by this. She didn't know what to do with it. And she walked out, you know, and it was like, But she, several months later, she got saved and she credits that pastor with um, planting the seed that God would love and accept her. There are so many people out there that think their behavior is their identity. And they think, because I feel this way, then I'm not accepted by God. And that's why they're rejecting God. They need to understand, just like in the church of Corinth, where there was so much sexual sin, but Paul said, such were some of you but you have been washed. You were justified. You were sanctified in the name of the Lord Jesus. There is hope and freedom from these lifestyles, but it's by faith and obedience to Jesus Christ. You know, we want God to take away that. We want to keep doing what we're doing until God takes away those feelings. I hear from so many young people, they pray and pray and pray and pray and ask God to take away the feelings, but they're still in pornography. They're still lusting. They're still doing all these things where he says, come and die to self, come and give your life wholly and fully to me. And I will bring transformation. Yeah. And it reminds me so much. I've had Christopher Yu on, on the show and um, he talks so much about that identity too, and how so much of what's going on is our identity is so wrapped up in sexuality. Yeah. And he, so much like your story, his mom encountered Jesus and he will 100% say it was the faithful prayers and surrender of my mother Absolutely. You know, that really saved my soul. Yes, it was Jesus, but it was her full surrender first that ended up leading to his full surrender. And so what would you say to the mom out there? Like I'm thinking of a specific person in my life right now who has a daughter who is, you know, now going by a male name. What encouragement do you have for her? I want to encourage every parent to never, ever give up praying and ask the Lord, be submitted to him. Let him lead you by the Holy Spirit. There were things that my mom and dad said or did, but they stopped trying to figure out how to fix me. 
and they really surrendered me into his hands. And then if he would prompt them to do something, you know, they would do that. Um, and they made all kinds of mistakes and they did all kinds of things, right? There is no cookie cutter way. It is the Lord working in the heart. Never, ever forget that it is him that does the work. He wants to use you, but you need to be surrendered and fully submitted to him first. Just as he told my mom, work on your relationship with me and I will work on her. And so keep your eyes on Jesus. Just like Peter, when he walked on the water, he was walking on the water as long as he looked at Jesus. But if he looked at the storm, he began to sink. And yeah. so I think that's the most important and I did want to mention real quickly too, um, Jesus has brought so much transformation in my life. I've become so feminine. I have absolutely no feelings or desires to return to that lifestyle. You know, and there are people that still will struggle with this till the day they die. There's no guarantee that um, these feelings will completely go away. They have in my case. Um, but the transformation the Lord has brought, I think a lot of this was from healing um, with my mother, with forgiveness, with, um, remember I said in the, in the beginning that bitterness, resentment, and unforgiveness lead to defilement. Well, a lot of the way that we get free is through faith and obedience in Jesus, but also through forgiveness, through deep yeah. healing, and through um, letting go of all the resentment and the bitterness. And that, I think that is what brought, has brought so much healing into my life. Yeah. And that takes work, right, Laura? Absolutely. Like, and time. And yeah. that's what, I mean, I don't have your story at all, but I want to encourage anyone to realize that no matter where you're at, try to fight that discouragement of, oh my gosh, it's been a year. It's been two years. It's been three years. Because even when we look in God's word, we see men and women in the Bible who it was a long time, but they kept praying, they kept surrendering, they kept walking with the Lord. And so just be diligent yeah. in that. Yeah. And you know, it was almost nine years for my mom and dad, but yeah. I had had about 10 or so years of rebellion before that. They really had right. been praying for me for about 20 years. Um, but also I, I've met several people that their parents prayed for 40 years and their, wow. their kids have come to Christ and they're radically on fire. Well, they're not kids anymore, but you never know. Just don't give up. And through yeah. this process, the Lord will transform you. One of the biggest encouragements I have, never forget in praying for your children that the children's salvation is not the object of your faith or your relationship with God. Mm. Keep your eyes on Jesus and your relationship with him. Let that be the focus. Pray for your children, yes, but let the focus be fully on Jesus. But I also want to encourage parents too to be like the father of the prodigal son. Remember that when he came home, the father was ready to embrace him. He went running out to him and embraced him and kissed him. There are so many parents out there that yes, they're praying for their children, but they have a lot of bitterness toward their kids because of the decisions their kids have made for the hurt they've got. I caused my parents a lot of hurt over the years. Yeah. And But when I came home, they received me. They were so merciful to me. So be working on that now, forgiving your kids, even when they don't deserve it, even when they haven't asked for your forgiveness yet, let go of the bitterness and resentment you have towards them for all that they have done. Remember that God commended his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Hmm. He died for us while we didn't want him, while we were rejecting him, while we spit in his face, while we were mocking him, while we were sinners, Christ died for us. So even now, begin to forgive and let go of all the bitterness towards your kids so that when they come home, you will be like the father or the prodigal son. You will run to them and kiss them and welcome them home. That's how wow. my parents receive me. I'm so grateful. 
for how they received me. Well, as we close out here, Laura, you may have the same answer to this last question as if you had for the previous two, but I'm going to ask it anyways. Um, Let's say someone is listening who has experienced similar thoughts to what you experienced as a young girl. What would you want to say to them? For anyone out there who is struggling, who has had these feelings and in your like, I have felt this way all my life. I don't see any reason for these feelings. I didn't either. When I embraced this, I didn't recognize any of these things that had led up to the, those feelings. All I knew is I'd felt like that all my life. I hadn't made any of the connections, but I can tell you that no matter what has causes, even if there weren't, even if you never find out what caused these feelings, the reality is we all need to be born again. We all need to die to our fleshly desires. We are to not to walk by the flesh, but by the spirit. This is all over Amen. the word of God that we have to walk by faith and deny who we are. Jesus said, as I quoted earlier, that if anyone wants to follow him, we're to deny ourselves, take up our cross and follow him. But he doesn't want to leave you there. He doesn't want to leave you in death. Um, there are a lot of people who think that this is, that I'm only to die to self, but he wants to resurrect you. He wants you to walk in newness of life, to walk by the spirit. He will give you joy and peace and all these things of the spirit. If you will trust him and walk by faith in the spirit. Oh, Laura, thank you so much. Your life testimony is one that is incredibly powerful and definitely points to the grace of our wonderful God and Savior. And so I'm so thankful for your time. Thank you. Amen. If someone did want to connect with you, is there a place for them to do that? Yeah, you can. I work for First Stone Ministries now in Oklahoma City. Uh, If you're here locally, you can uh, make an appointment, come in. Um, But if not, uh, you can reach out to us on firststone.org. And uh, there's a contact page there. Or you can reach out to me on my own website. I have a blog website that's transgender2transformed.com. And it's, I also have a book by the same title, transgender2transformed.com. You can order that there on the website or on Amazon. Awesome. Thank you so much for being here today, Laura. Thank you so much for having me. God bless. In this cultural moment, Laura's story of the work of Jesus in her life is both needed and necessary. If you are looking for resources, prayer, or encouragement regarding sexual identity, please visit transgendertotransformed.com. Remember, I have opened my calendar for speaking and would love to share the message I believe God has given me with the women at your church, small group, weekend retreat, or conference. If you or someone you know is looking for a speaker, connect with me at graceenoughpodcast.com slash speaking or email me at graceenoughpodcast at gmail.com. Thank you for listening to the Grace Enough Podcast. Tune in next time.